Well, welcome back, everyone. Again, it's good to see you all. Um, now, I don't. I wanted to share with you first. I, I don't know if you've ever seen this uh, TV show uh, that I'm not even sure if it's still on the air, but uh, something that's been around for a while. Have you ever guys uh, seen that show, Undercover Boss? Do you remember that show? That was an awesome show. Uh, Undercover Boss uh, was basically the show uh, where either the CEO or some upper management of a company that they either founded or were a part of or know, you know through and through, they would actually put on a disguise uh, and go down to um, lower level management uh, or even entry level positions sometimes uh, to try and see what's happening on the ground floor uh, of their company. Uh, yeah, here, here's the, if this image. And, and it was really neat because here's the CEO side, right, this, this upper management. And then what he'll do is he'll kind of put on this disguise uh, and go down and see what's happening uh, on the ground floor, uh, how they're doing it, what things are working, what things aren't working. Uh, and it's really this kind of touching show because more often than not, and I'm sure it has something to do with the show's production, but they put them in touch with people who are either in dire need, uh, who have only this job to survive, who, and, and so it ends up tugging on your heartstrings most of the time uh, because of the position that this boss uh, is put in. Uh, and it happens, again, in every episode where he's, some, at some point, this boss is subjected to a job that is sometimes super mundane uh, or very simple, uh, maybe cleaning or maybe just sitting at like a conveyor belt, almost like I love Lucy, just watch, inspecting. And that's all they do for eight hours, 10 hours straight. You know, and he ends up doing that. And sometimes you'll run into one of these employees who tries to uh, reveal to the undercover boss who they don't know who this guy is, who they're training. Sometimes the employee who's training tries to show some shortcuts Sometimes so she's like, well, if you do it a little bit this way, but then there's just kind of this weird moment where the boss who knows like, well, well, you're not supposed to shortcut this part because I kind of helped develop the systems that these things are in place for. And so there's kind of this weird moment where the boss like, well, now sometimes it's great because later in the revelation after he show, he, he meets with them later and he reveals that actually this whole time I was the boss and there's this huge shocking moment. But later sometimes the boss actually uh, changes some of the processes from the top down because he saw that they were useful. But I have seen some explosive episodes sometimes where the boss you know, f finds out that things are not happening at all how he had planned out uh, and so he has to either hold his tongue uh, or some, I've seen him rip off the disguise and say, guys, this is not how it's supposed to be done. And I've seen some upset moments. But there's this weird moment where, again, sometimes there's this tension where the boss has to keep it internalized, grit his teeth, or sometimes he's like, well, no, we probably should do it this right way. And it's just this weird thing. You know, I think that this show, um, believe it or not, the, it, it has a lot of parallels to what we're talking about in this uh, hashtag Jesus uh, a series. There's a lot of things in common where a guy who's a boss, who's the one who designed creation, who designed things the way that they're supposed to be, would put on a disguise, right, and kind of come down to this entry level, almost like a newborn infant style. He would come down and he would see how things are working but he'd also come and show how things are supposed to go too. 
And so the show ends up being touching because there's just a lot of empathy shown by a boss who's willing to come down from his 40th floor office uh, in the, with, a, with a corner office, right? And he comes all the way down, and he's so touched uh, by the hardworking people. And the people are also touched by the, uh, the humility of a boss who's willing to come down and learn from the ground up. Again, there's just so much parallels to what this hashtag uh, Jesus series uh, is about. We're here spending time in this few weeks. We started a couple of weeks ago, and we're going to continue this uh, Jesus series all the way to Easter, actually. Uh, And we're going to be spending our time becoming more and more in tune with who Jesus was, like the actual character, the actual man, what he came to do, what his mission was, what he was teaching. We're trying to focus on Jesus because truly our name as Christians hinge on Jesus Christ. And so the more we understand his mission, the more our faith, the more our faith and our life, everyday life, the more we understand Jesus, the more that the weekend worship service is going to meld and mesh with Monday office or Tuesday soccer practice or Wednesday whatever. We're trying to meld what's happening on our worship weekend Uh, with what's happening during the week. And that's what this series is about. Again, understanding Christ, his plan, asking these questions. Why, Why did he become human? Why did he say and do things the way he did them throughout the Gospels? Why does it matter to us now? You know, the purpose and the overarching purpose of this, this series, I, I had a peek at it, but here it is, is to shrink the distance between the head knowledge and the heart understanding of Christ. And what I mean by this is growing up as a Christian, uh, as someone who was raised in a, a Christian family, went to church for nearly all of my life, there was a lot of head knowledge about Jesus. I went to Sunday school, my dad did Bible studies with me, I knew a lot of that stuff. But it wasn't until later, much later, after hearing these stories over and over and over and over again, that it started to drill into me that, hold on, Jesus was a real guy? Like, he was an actual, he was real? He wasn't just uh, another character in another book? I've read how many dozens of books with awesome heroes in them. Isn't Jesus just another hero in one of those fictional books? But when that truth started to wind its way down in my heart, where there is a true belief of an actual man who lived and breathed unconditional love, who lived and breathed sacrificial love for our sake, then the distance between what I knew about Christ and what my heart actually understood started to shrink. And we started to get to a place where I think I found a more genuine faith, a place where I'm melding my worship service experience and my Monday through Saturday life And I think, I'm hoping, that's where you want to get to also, where Jesus isn't just some outward figure who lived 2,000 years ago, but he's actually a friend, uh, uh, someone that you look to in times of need, a person that you wish you could be reconciled, meet again, someone that you look forward to meeting in the future, maybe even the near future, as scary as that sounds. But that's what I want us to get to, having this genuine this genuine faith. I think if we understand or we focus and we believe this real man, then the genuine quality, the, the, 
the natural quality of a faith in us will start to come to the surface. Now, for the past couple of weeks, again, we started right at the beginning of Jesus' life. We, we talked about how he was, as far as leadership goes, uh, religious leadership in Israel at the time did not expect Jesus the Messiah the way that he came. They either expected some sort of conquering king, uh, they expected some guy who was going to boot uh, Roman occupation out of their country. They expected maybe a war leader, a general perhaps. They did not expect the kind, meek, sacrificial Jesus as he came. Last week, we talked about the only instance uh, in the Gospels where we see Jesus before the age of 30, at 12 years old, where he kind of got left behind at the temple. Uh, And we started to learn about how Jesus as a man, not simply divine, not holy and only divine, but Jesus started to grow and he actually matured and that he wasn't just maybe Jesus right out the bat. He didn't have the red cape around his neck the whole time, but he was actually growing and learning. We understood that he, perhaps he, that means he must have limited himself to some degree to come down. Here's this big, I almost picture Aladdin uh, when the genie shows all of the cosmic infinite powers and all of the universe are mine and a tiny little tiny little uh, space, he says, right? And then he's, he's, Robin Williams is squished uh, in the lamp. I almost picture that, like Jesus is like, and then little baby, you know? But he did that for, uh, for our sake, and he grew and matured from there. This week, we're actually going to uh, continue on in the Gospels, almost chronologically. We're going to just go ahead right into Jesus' 30th year. He's 30 years old when he kicks off his three-year ministry, and this is what the Gospels mostly are about, this three-year ministry uh, that Jesus had. So in Matthew 3, if you want to turn there, uh, we're going to be in Matthew 3, and we're talking about this time of John the Baptist, okay? I know this series is focused on Jesus, uh, but what's really neat is that Jesus' cousin of all people Jesus' cousin, a little bit older than Jesus, John the Baptist, he came first before Jesus actually hit the ground at age 30. And John the Baptist came out, and he was just kind of this weird character who was dressed different. He was eating foods that were just really weird. And he gathered a lot of attention to himself because of either his oddness and because of what he was preaching he started talking about how the people of Israel needed to ready themselves for this coming Messiah. Although no one was, nobody expected it yet because it had been hundreds of years and we've always been waiting for this Messiah, John started coming and talking about how people not, needed to start repenting, how people needed to start being considered being baptized. He started criticizing religious leadership a lot like some of the similar patterns that Jesus himself would fulfill And so uh, that's the setting in Matthew chapter 3. John the Baptist came, and he started hyping Jesus, essentially. And so uh, John speaks to how he came in. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, uh, he says there, I baptize you with water for repentance. Okay? He says, I baptize you with water for repentance. Now, what exactly is this Repentance. That's kind of this big Christian word. Uh, and if you look with me, uh, it, if you look into the actual original language of the New Testament, uh, we're speaking of this metanoia, uh, which is where we pull this word repentance as we know it. And literally it means this, a change of mind 
or a change of the inner, uh, change inside the inner man. John is saying, you guys need to change. You need to rethink the sins that are in your life. You need to rethink the way that you're breaking old Mosaic law. And at the same time, he says this to the religious leadership also, to the Pharisees, to the Sadducees, the, the guys who call the shots as far as religion goes uh, for the Jewish people. And he says, you guys need to repent. In fact, earlier in John or uh, in Matthew, um, John the Baptist will actually call them a brood of vipers because of how poorly they lead the religious, uh, lead religion uh, in the people there. And so he says, I come to baptize with water and I come uh, for, for repentance. Uh, literally, again, a change of mind or a change in the inner man. So I'll continue on here in case we were wondering what that big word was. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me, and he restarts to speak about Jesus, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals... I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John, again, he serves as a herald, a forerunner, again, of this kind of hype man to Jesus. Before Jesus begins his ministry, John is preparing the people for Jesus. John, like Jesus, again, he's critical of the current religious leadership because of their legalistic practices, okay? They're just not leading people the way they're supposed to. So he hypes Jesus, his cousin, and in reality, even though he's his cousin, he has not met him yet, but he recognizes that Jesus is a man whose sandals he's not even worthy to carry. This is the ultimate hype man, you see? People were thinking great things of John the Baptist already. He already had disciples, and people were starting to follow John the Baptist, but he's like, no, 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 no. I'm washing, I'm baptizing with water to wash away the sins, and that people would repent. But a bigger deal is coming. We got water here in the Jordan, but this guy's coming with the Holy Spirit. He's coming to baptize with fire. And this is a big deal that he's doing this for us. And yet, this coming passage is just really this unbelievable moment. If we continue on in Matthew uh, chapter 3 here, uh, Jesus 13 through 15 here. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John... uh, But John tried to deter him, saying, whoa, whoa, I need to be baptized by you, right? Again, uh, he's the one who does not believe that he's even worthy to carry his sandals. And so when he recognizes and see the Messiah in Jesus Christ, and then Christ is asking John to baptize him, it's just an unbelievable moment for John the Baptist. I need to be baptized by you, And do you come to me? And Jesus replied this. This is a simple line, but holds so much meaning. Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. You know, seeing this disbelief in John, I think it reveals two ways, two different ways that Jesus shows his humble nature. First, to be baptized by one who is not fit to hold his sandals. Now, this is true. Believe it or not, that's actually true. 
Jesus, who is this king, who is a co-creator of all things, who is there at the beginning. Jesus is a charter member of everything, all right? So he was there. He's not, he was not a subordinate to the Father. You know, he was there in the beginning. And so it is quite true. He is John. Neither, none of us are worthy of holding the sandals truly. But Jesus doesn't rebuke that. He doesn't, he doesn't hold to that. Remember, he's already here. He's got the, the suit on. He's got the flesh suit on. He came down from the 40th floor to come down here. He's not gonna say, you can't even hold my sandals. And so he accepts Jesus in his humility. Says, no, I have to be baptized. To be baptized, especially by one who recognizes he's not even fit to hold the sandals. And second, I think in a bigger way, Jesus shows off his humble nature by teaching through his actions. He offers validity to John the Baptist's baptism. He offers validity to the way that John the Baptist is unveiling this process of baptism to people. You see, it's interesting, and it's really tough. If baptism is simply about repenting, okay, because that's what John the Baptist said it was about. It was about sin. It was about changing that inner man. It's about doing things differently than the way that that you're used to doing it. Okay, if that's true, then why was Jesus baptized? Right? That's a legitimate question. If we know that Jesus is perfect, well, first, we've got to ask that. Is he perfect? How do we know? Was he perfect? Do we, do we know that? Again, he jumped from 12 to 30. A lot of stuff could have happened uh, in that time. But if you, with me, are willing to read into Scripture, to dig into Jesus' history, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, God made him, Jesus, this is Jesus, God made him who had no sin, all right? And so this theology of Jesus is already being unveiled, that the man had never sinned. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here we're seeing a simple theology that there was no sin in this man, that he was perfect without blemish. And if that be the case, then why? Why is Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist? They're all in the water washing away their sins. But Jesus comes and he says, no, I should do this too. But he doesn't have to. It's weird. I think by doing this, by Jesus humbly accepting the baptism of John the Baptist, I think really this begins to introduce to us the upside-down kingdom of God that Jesus will usher in that isn't exactly about perfection, It's really cool how in this context, in the same context, John the Baptist is yelling at the perfectionists, the legalists, the Pharisees, and saying, you guys are dead wrong. That's not what it's about. And Jesus, the true perfect one, the actual perfect one, came and was willing to be baptized. And he teaches through this humble example, not about perfection that you and I are unable to attain, Something that we'll never have. I will never be perfect. Even from here until death, if Reggie was perfect, too bad. Reggie's already screwed up more than enough times from here from my, uh, to my birth. There have been too many selfish, crappy, cruddy moments that Reggie has taken advantage of. Too many temptations that Reggie has fallen prey to. I'm not perfect. I can be perfect from here on out. Doesn't count. But the perfect one came. 
And even he was obedient to this. If, we all, if all we have, if all we have is John the Baptist's baptism, washing away sin, washing away the crud of the sin that's on us, the repentance, you know what? We better warm up that baptismal because I think you and I are going in every week. I'm not afraid to admit it. I might have to go in every week because, yep, I might have a change of mind on Sunday. <laughs> I might have a change of mind again by Tuesday, by Wednesday, again, by Thursday, and then back by the next week, and I'm like, oh, geez, Reggie screwed up again. One more time, he screwed up. All right, heat it up. Let's get in the baptismal. John the Baptist, he was preparing it, but he wasn't the full thing. He wasn't exactly what they needed, but he was hyping it up. And Jesus came, and even he subjected himself to a baptismal that wasn't fit for him. But he offers validity to John the Baptist's baptism, and he makes it about obedience, not about perfection. He makes John the Baptist, he, he takes baptism and elevates this sacrament, not from just completely washing away, which is a part of it, but he makes it about obedience. Jesus says this, it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Meaning baptism, baptism is a part of God's plan. Baptism is something that he wants us to commit to. In other words, Jesus said this, it's the right thing to do. When it says it is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness, in another term, in an easier way to understand, Jesus says this, it's the right thing to do. Simple as that. It's the right thing to do. And we see how God feels about that right after that baptism. As soon as Jesus was baptized, as soon as he was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. It's a, use your imagination. I don't even know with all of my imaginative ability can I picture what is heaven cracking open look like. Heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God. This is from John's perspective. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven. Imagine this thunderous low growl God, creator of all things, voice. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus is baptized not because he is unclean. He's already perfect. But he's even better than perfect. Jesus is obedient. Even though he's not the lesser, again, he's not like the CFO to God's CEO, there is inequality between them. Even though Jesus is just as much a boss as God is, Jesus is obedient, making him even greater. It's this incredible, incredible quality that Jesus ushers in, how humility is a good thing, how lowering yourself can be the strong thing to do. Jesus doesn't need to be baptized he doesn't need to be baptized, but he shows us that it's the right thing to do. Didn't need to be baptized, but he showed us that it's the right thing to do. Jesus is anointed 
and consecrated in his baptism. In this moment, he's also revealed to be the son of God in a big public setting. And really, this sets into motion the next three years of Jesus' ministry. Although Jesus is a man, his actions for the next few years, his actions are not what earn him some kind of special relationship with God. No, from the very beginning of his ministry, from day one, anybody who had seen Jesus in a public setting, they had already known it was called from God himself, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Everybody could see that. And as we study the word, as we study scripture, as we dig more into the gospel and learn about Jesus and his mission, this passage means at least a couple of things for us. Even though it's a short story, it's really simple to understand here, but it reveals, I think, at least two things for us. One, if baptism is something that has not been a part of your life maybe it's time to consider it. Simply because Jesus himself did it and told us each that it's the right thing to do. It's an act of obedience which apparently pleases the Father, revealing God and the position of Jesus to you in your life and to others. If baptism is something you haven't done already, maybe it's time to consider that, to ask some questions of people who maybe know Jesus a little bit more than yourself. And that's an open invitation for anyone to sit down with a coffee with me or hang out or any of our leadership. But Jesus himself subjected himself to this act of obedience in baptism. Perhaps it's something you ought to consider. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter has this to say about baptism. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. I think I shortened that one. Oh, in verse 21, after Peter says that, uh, he goes on to talk a little bit about Noah Uh, and and how the people of Noah were also saved through water in the flood of the world. And so Peter, he brings that up, and there's some tricky language in there, but he wraps up the thought about baptism, about Jesus' death and sacrifice, in this thought here, he says, and that water, the one that Noah had been saved through in the big ark, that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you not by removing dirt from your body. This is the John the Baptist baptism about removing the dirt, removing the unrighteousness, removing the the cruddy stuff that Reggie's just gonna get up out of and get dirty again the next day. Not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Christ's power, he makes the baptism more valuable than simple washing away of the sin, washing away of the dirt. But in Jesus' resurrection, there's true power, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He baptizes again, as John had said, with fire uh, and with Holy Spirit. The act of baptism here, it says, is a commitment on the part of the believer in all good conscience to make sure that what baptism symbolizes will become a reality in our lives. 
So if you haven't considered baptism, look at the theology here of what baptism reveals, if about its saving ability, uh, and its obedience by Jesus himself showing us that it's the right thing to do. Now, for those of us who've already participated in this practice, you're not off the hook. For those of us who've already been baptized, who've made a public confession of our faith to other people, a lot of us have seen that of the people in this room. For those of us, there's some application also. I think we need to look to another character in this story. There's only a couple that we're looking at, right? At Jesus uh, and his obedience. I think we need to look at the hype man, the herald, John, not the Baptist, but John the testifier. In John chapter 1, verse 29 through 34, I want to read this. The next day after the baptism, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. And we've, we've flipped the script. We're into John now, the gospel of John. Not John the Baptist. I know that's confusing. Another John wrote this. But the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, make mention, there's only a couple of places in the entire scriptures where Jesus is referenced as the Lamb of God. And John is saying that now. Jesus coming toward him, look, not speaking to himself, but to the people around him, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant. So apparently he was already hyping Jesus up to other people since yesterday. This is the one I meant when I said, a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with the water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So it's really cool. John's revealing what his plan, what his part of the plan was, that he started prepping the people for Jesus's arrival. That's why I came baptizing with water, because I knew at the right time the Messiah would come. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. If a few of us here are already baptized, here I think we can take some marching orders. John testifies to what he has seen, to what has been revealed to him. He shares with those who are listening, and he doesn't hold back. He talks about the one who is greater, the one who is more powerful, the one who surpasses him without jealousy, without contempt for a greater one. No, he is Jesus' hype man. In fact, again, if you continue in John 1, uh, again, he's the next day, again, the, a second day, John's still out there talking about this. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples, John's own disciples, people he knew already. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, again, that same language, look, guys, this is the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus John's given up his own crew so that they would follow Jesus. He's pointing the way to Jesus. I think that's the job that we each need to partake in. 
We can use our own influence. We can use our own ability. We can use the story that God has revealed to us to point the way to Jesus. It may have happened 2,000 years ago, but I can still say the people who matter to me, the people I'm close to, the people I love and care, look, the Lamb of God comes, the one who is greater than me. That's our marching order. We're not John the Baptist. Maybe we're John the testifier who points the way to the real one, the chosen one, the one upon whose God's favor, whose God favors rests on. I think that's the role that we have to play. And so think on that. Think of the people in your life that maybe are looking for that Lamb of God, who are looking for a Savior, looking for the one who embodies unconditional love, who embodies sacrificial love. Because I think in reality, you will not have to look hard to find the person who is so desperate for care, for love, for belonging, for redemption. We have that to share. So read, please. Read Matthew 3. Read this story for yourself. Read uh, this John uh, chapter uh, three, uh, chapter 1 also. I think if you do that and you see this story for yourself, I want you to get to know this scripture and again to see more and more clearly a picture of an actual man who did these things for our sake. Again, one of the most touching moments on that undercover boss show is when he reveals who he is and his deep empathy just and sympathy just rolls off him as he starts blessing people with, hey, you had a story that you wanted to finish your education. You know what? That story touched me. That I'm taking care of that education. Or you have a story that you haven't taken a day off for how many years? You and your family, you're going to Disney World because he's so touched by that. Don't you want to get people in touch with the spiritual version of that? A guy who's ready to bless beyond understanding and beyond belief. That's who we get to point to as testifiers of a Lamb of God that we are in touch with. Let me offer a word of prayer. Dear God, I'm so thankful for uh, your son, Jesus Christ, who, you know, although a king and creator of the universe and, and this big, all powerful being, I'm thankful that he, in his infinite love, a love that will be so hard for any of us to ever fully grasp, led him to come down, to be born a child, to grow as a human, to be subject to our ways. Father, it's nothing that we deserve. We don't deserve that kind of love. You know, God, we are people who, you know, make selfish decisions, who make unwise decisions decisions all the time and yet your heavenly father comes down or your heavenly son comes down redeems us by showing us the way showing us that obedience trumps the perfection a perfection that you that we will never attain to god thank you for your deep compassion for deep love i pray lord that over each of us your holy spirit would place a conviction either about baptism in and of itself uh, understanding Jesus and the obedience revealed to us through being baptized, or God, if your Holy Spirit can reveal to us the people that we can share our testimony 
with as John the Baptist, who's so excited about seeing the Messiah finally come. I pray, God, that you would instill in us that same excitement when we visit with people who are so desperate for someone to belong to, someone to lavish them with love, uh, kindness, compassion, and ultimately sacrificial grace. We pray these things in your holy son's name. Amen.